This is Danny Vietti from CBS Sports, and you're listening to the Big O Podcast. Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of the Big O Podcast. I am your host, Julian Ortiz, and today I am joined by MLB writer for CBS Sports and a member of the AD Poo crew and host of Baseball Today, uh, Fantasy Baseball Today podcast presented by CBS Sports every Wednesday, Danny Vietti. Danny, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Julian. Yeah, I'm excited to talk a little ball. I mean, it's the best time of the year, if you ask me. So I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. As you mentioned, best time of the year. Catchers and pitchers reported on time. By the time this airs, we will have had, hopefully, some spring training games. What are your thoughts as we look to turn over the calendar year to a new baseball season? What sticks out to you or jumps out to you initially? It's a couple different things. I think I'm a human first, even before I'm a baseball fan. So I, I, I've seen the light at the tunnel, light at the end of the tunnel for a long time now. And so the excitement of having fans back in the sands, that takes you know precedent for me. Um, I can't wait to see that aspect back in the baseball because I think that's an element that's been missing for a long time. And so that is at the forefront for me, just what I'm excited for. And then secondly, I'm excited to see Francisco Lindor in a Mets uniform, Blake <laughs> Snell in a Padres uniform, you Darvish, a lot of moving pieces this offseason. So uh, that's always kind of the case after every offseason. But I'm excited to see what these uh, these new new hungry beasts do in Major League Baseball. Now, it's interesting you bring up fans back in the stands. Uh, I'm in Toronto, so we probably won't have our own team in our country, at least to start the season. The Blue Jays will be starting off in Dunedin. We got kind of used to that as the Toronto Raptors are now in Tampa Bay playing their NBA season. But let's get to the fans. How important is it for Major League Baseball after surviving COVID-19 in 2020 turning that year over, how important is it for them to get fans back into the seats at all of our baseball games? There's so many different things that go into it because we could talk about the collective bargaining agreement that's going to come up at the end of this year. Fans have a lot to do with that because fans dictate how much money each of these teams are going to make. Uh, there's so many different branches we can go off to it. I personally like to talk about the human aspect of it. And I've heard different players get asked this question, you know, how exciting is it going to be to actually play with fans in stands? I think Padres manager Jay Tingler hit it perfectly. And he said, that's, that's why we play, you know, uh, that's, that's what, that's what creates that juice. That's what gets your 95 miles per hour to hit 97, 98. It's really that momentum and motivation. That's what fans do. And so um, personally, I'm for selfish reasons, I want to get out to a ballpark, enjoy the, you know, the vitamin D from the sunlight and <laughs> grab a beer, grab a hot dog and just kind of relax and just be outside. And it sounds really strange, but I want to be around people too, safely, of course. You know, I want of course. COVID to be under control here, but as weird as it sounds, I just want to be around people. And so I think a lot of fans share that same sentiment. I think, you know, with the NBA and the NHL starting off the beginnings of COVID-19 and bubbles and we got to see the sports return, it wasn't really until baseball and really the NFL decided to put some fans in the stands and just to see how it would work. And 
went off pretty much without a hitch from a fan perspective. But yeah, there's something different. You know, Major League Baseball seems to run into challenge after challenge every single offseason. In 2020 and 2019, we had the, you know, Astros scandal this past year. Baseball did it again. Uh, Kevin Mather with his, you know, talking about manipulation of service time and talking about some of the players. Obviously, uh, service time has been baseball's worst kept secret. Everybody seems to know. And you've already mentioned the collective bargaining agreement. What kind of impact will the news that came out this offseason have on the next collective bargaining agreement? It's huge. Um, The way I describe it is... We basically went out in the, in, into a circle and got undressed and showed everybody the big butterfly tattoo that owners have on their backs. And he basically stripped down naked and say, look, this is what we've been doing. And everybody knew he had the butterfly tattoo. We could all see the little feather poking out of his shirt, but it's obvious now and they admitted it. And so I, I think it's actually going to be good for baseball in the long run, really, because Josh Donaldson said it perfectly. He said, thank you for doing that because you basically just gave us leverage now in negotiations because everybody knew that Chris Bryant was getting his service time manipulated. Yep. And I think you look at the other end of the spectrum too, uh, too. Fernando Tatis Jr. just signed his extension uh, last week. They asked him in this press conference, they said, how important it was it for you when AJ Preller brought you up at opening day in 2019, as opposed to sending you down, how important was that for you and your guys' relationship? And FTJ said it was huge. And you said it helped build trust, helped build that foundation, that that relationship between front offices and player, which I think is too often overlooked. And so I think it's huge. I, I think the relationship between the union, Major League Baseball has got to be better if we want baseball to get back to being growing and back to where it was. Um, so I actually think as tough as it was to, you know, hear some of those comments that he made, um, it was in it's I feel bad for Seattle players too because I don't think they want to play for a man like that. At the same time, long term, I think it actually could be good for baseball because it's kind of exposing them for their worse. Like I said, baseball no short of, of controversies to off season after off season. We'll get into a little bit more fun antics from the likes of Trevor Bauer and uh, Noah Syndergaard in just a little bit. But I do want to ask you, going back to you, you know, you obviously grew up as a two sport athletes playing basketball and baseball where was it that you decided that baseball was going to be the passion that you looked to pursue and if you were playing in the NBA today you made it all the way who would your game best replicate in today's NBA oh man that's the first time I've ever been asked that second question first of all and second of all thanks for doing your research because I haven't been called a basketball player in some time. Um, gosh, who would replicate my game? Somebody who has not a lot of athleticism, but is a little coordinated. Because I was about, I'm taller for a normal human. I'm about 6'6". Of course, for the NBA standard, I would maybe be a point guard. Because I think Lonzo Balls maybe six 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 seven two. Right. So um, I would be undersized. So to name one player, I honestly I don't know if I could name one. If you remember Chuck Hayes, Chuck yep. Hayes played for the Houston, so he was just kind of a banger down low. I guess I'll say Chuck Hayes. Um, yeah, and then and then going back for baseball too. How did I know I would be a baseball player? I had a couple different direction I could have gone out of high school. Um, I had fewer offers for basketball. I could have stayed locally and played. There were a couple local colleges I could have played for basketball. Baseball, I was um, you know a little bit more talented just because. I threw, you know, 
I was a little bit um, in the upper echelon compared to the guys I was I was playing against. That being said, I grew up in a really small town, and so I had kind of a wake up call when I going. I went to University of San Francisco to play, pitched terribly, ended up transferring down to an NAI, which is where I ended up, and ended up having loads of fun. So um, I don't know why I ended up going down the base, baseball lane. I think it's just kind of always been my love. Now, you bounced around a little bit through college and you talked about it. How does that play on your psyche as an athlete trying to make it to the next level, having the skills to do it, but just starting to run into some hard luck each and every stop you made? That's a good question. I, I will start off by saying that it's like first world problems. Like there's <laughs> yeah. there's people going through a lot more harder you know, part of my language, a lot more harder shit than I had to go through. I mean, I was getting a first class education at San Diego State University of San Francisco and then at William Jessup. A lot of kids would kill to have that kind of education and the resources I had. So first of all, first world problems. But to answer your question, it, it was tough at times. Um, you know, I had she's my fiance now, but she's a year younger than I was or is. And um, she was still in high school. So we did the whole long distance thing. That was tough. And then going over to University of San Francisco, um, you know, I got it. Like I said, I had kind of a wake up call and it was my first exposure to that talent level. And I again, I grew up in a small town. I thought I was, you know, hot shit, but I got there and I realized I wasn't the best pitcher in America. And I, you know, had my uh, stuff handed to me. Um, and, and part of it, too, was I was trying to work and play ball and go to school at the same time, doing all three aspects. And that was challenging at times, but it ended up paying off. And I think one thing I learned from it is it's not it's not about playing for the D1 school. It's not about playing for, you know, it, it's just where you're going to be happiest. And so um, I ended up reaching that point, but it took me a couple of years to find that point. Now, like the Gronkowskis, you come from a big family, three older brothers. What was your experience like growing up being the youngest of the of the brothers? Was it party antics like the Gronkowskis? How would you best describe your time growing up in that household? I was the youngest. So the partying aspect didn't hit me until like college area. It's college era. But so that that was that was later. But um <laughs> Uh, so my oldest brother, uh, he was eight years older, then six years older is my next one, then four years older. So I was the baby. I was the one that always got spoiled. But at the same time, I was always at a basketball court, a basketball gym, a football field. I didn't play football, but my brothers did, or a baseball diamond. So, you know, I grew up in that culture. I grew up looking up to them. And, um, you know, I they all set the example for me. They didn't end up, neither of them ended up playing college ball. Um, but they all had offers. They ended up going their own different directions, but they really set the example and paved the pathway for me. Um, and we, again, we ended up going our different directions, but I think it helped being the baby because I got to one, learn from them and learn what they did well. And secondly, I got to learn from their mistakes and what they didn't do well. I mean, you said that you grew up on courts, arenas, baseball diamonds. If there was a lesson that you learned early on from your experience of traveling around and being around sports and athletics and different you know, aspects of, of different sports, what was the thing that really helped you stay motivated as you got older, whether it's in your profession now or when you were trying to make it into the big leagues? You're giving me the hard ones tonight <laughs> on a Friday night. Um, no, I kid. Um, honestly, the thing that motivated me was – this is going to sound really cliche and cheesy, but I always really wanted to make my parents proud um, and, and, and myself too. I always had an idea of what I would be when I was older and, and 
the pathway I wanted to pay for myself. But you know, my parents went through a lot. Um, you know, they did everything for me. And so for me, I just wanted always, like I said, me and my brothers went all different directions. Um, for some of my brothers, it's taken them a long time to, you know, get to be to that happiness spot. Um, you know, but for me, I just wanted to kind of show them that anything was possible, honestly. And, and again, I, I'm not conquering the world here. Um, you know, I work a good job. I work for a good company. I'm very proud of that. But again, I just kind of wanted to be the kid that they were proud of. I think that was kind of the underlying reason for everything I did. Now, obviously, baseball was the direction that you wanted to go. What led you to working for CBS Sports, writing baseball columns, and now taking part as the host every Wednesday on CBS Sports Fantasy Baseball Today podcast? So I like this question because I actually have a like concrete answer for you. <laughs> Perfect. Um, when I was at William Jessup, which is outside of Sacramento, uh, Max Preps, if nobody knows what Max Preps is, they're the high school leader um, for sports coverage um, across the United States. And so they're actually owned by CBS Sports. So I was working part time for Max Preps while going to school and playing baseball. It was a very low level job. I just kept working myself up. When I graduated college, I got a full time job with Max Preps. And a few months after that, CBS Sports had a full-time social media job open up. So applied for that and, again, just kind of worked my way through. And I think the best part about CBS Sports is how tight-knit it is. Um, it's very – everybody's very easily accessible from our president to um, just the different employees. And um, we all have a really good communicating device through, you know, through Slack. And um, we do a good job of just responding with everyone. And so with Will Middlebrooks, who's now my co-host – I just reached out to him on Twitter about a year ago, just kind of introducing myself. Um, I knew he was working for CBS Sports H HQ at the time, excuse me, HQ. And um, I just, you know, introduced myself. And then a few months down the road, I was like, hey, what do you say we, you know, start a podcast? And we haven't been able to give in our, uh, we haven't been given our own platform yet to start our own podcast. We've been filling in for um, Frank Stanfall and Chris um, and Scott. And uh, we've been filling in for them on the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. And it's been loads of fun. And getting to know Will Middlebrooks and, and his background and his family has been probably the most special thing of it all. So um, it's really cool working for a good organization. But at the same time, I think the best thing about it is just how tight-knit it is and how, um, how helpful everybody has been. One of my favorite things about the CBS podcast is that you can tune in any which day right now. It's the perfect time if you're into fantasy baseball because you're getting a new podcast every single day. But when you and Will are going back and forth, you get the perspective of two guys who have played baseball. So it's not just about the analytics and the advice. You're talking about actual experience of playing the game and bringing a whole different aspect to the fantasy realm for people who watch and love baseball. What has that been like to really develop the bond with Will and be able to share both his stories and your experience for the CBS platform? I'm glad you enjoy it because um, <laughs> typically, so the biggest struggle with the podcast has been it's a fantasy audience. They're looking for fantasy information. It's a very informative podcast. That's what Frank Stanfield brings to the table. And Frank and Scott and the rest of that team do a fantastic job. Me and Will bring a different perspective. We essentially came to the table and said, look, we want to have a baseball podcast. What do you say? And they basically responded and said, what do you say? You and Will take over the fantasy podcast for a while and see how it goes. So that's basically the stage that we're in. Um, and so 
the audience doesn't really look for baseball stories. The audience isn't really looking for why a pitcher is throwing a, a, a two-seam fastball in the outer half against Mookie Betts because he doesn't hit the outside fastball once here or whatever that may be. That's what we right. bring to the table. They're more so looking at, okay, how many RBI opportunities is Mookie Betts going to have because I need him to win my fantasy league for me because I have like $200 kicked in on this thing. Um, so that's been the biggest struggle is trying to find an audience while using the fantasy audience. But to your point, I think picking Will's brain and everything he knows about baseball has been incredibly influential for me because I, I played baseball. I didn't play baseball at the level he did. He's a world series champion. And so being able to pick, pick his brain, I like to use that in my writing as I write for CBS sports too. And I love being able to use analytics and I like being the nerd on cbssports.com. but also I think it's really important that you bring a player perspective to your writing too. And so Will's been able to, um, you know, teach me a thing or two about what major league baseball is, how the business works. And I think that's been, you know, priceless for me. Listen, I love it. I know the audience may not, but listen, we're, we're warming up to it. We're going to make sure that it still gets the love that it absolutely deserves because you guys still do talk analytics in, in a way that you can, you know, tune it to your Roto League or even your points league. I love it. Big fan. We're going to get to why I love it so much in, in, in just a little bit, but I'd like to get your opinion on some of the offseason storylines. Uh, from the Padres openly starting an arms race to go toe-to-toe with champion Dodgers, the Truman Show-like experience that we saw with Trevor Bauer this offseason, and then the annual will-they-won't-they debate surrounding the New York Mets. What to you was the biggest storyline in this offseason? The storyline, I'm going to give you my West Coast bias and say the Padres, just because... (sighs) I think everything that's happened in Southern California is not only good for baseball, but it's just catching everybody's attention. I think obviously the Dodgers won the world series for the first time since 88 last year, it was time. They even bolstered their own rotation by adding, adding Trevor Bauer. It was funny, the dynamic between those two teams, it was almost like the Padres would make a move and then the Dodgers would make a move and then the <laughs> Padres would add to their bullpen and then the Dodgers would add their, to their bullpen. It was kind of a back and forth going on. And they asked Andrew Friedman, president of baseball operations for the Dodgers. They said, you know, were you guys paying attention to what the Padres are doing? He's like, it'd be impossible to ignore it. And they asked A.J. Preller the same thing. Are you paying attention to what the Dodgers are doing? He gave a similar response. So I think that was the biggest storyline, just the back and forth between L.A. and San Diego, because it's not a rivalry yet. San Diego hasn't earned that right. They haven't played well enough against Los Angeles in their history to call it a rivalry. That being said, I think rivalries are as much about the current time as it is about history. That's great that the you know uh, Giants and Dodger, Dodgers have been rivals for all this long time, and they were even good rival. Uh, it was a good rivalry in the early 2010s when San Francisco was good. The rivalry is not good right now. The San Francisco hasn't been good since uh, 2016 when they made the uh, NLDS. Since then, it hasn't been good because the Giants haven't been good. Padres are good. They're coming for the throne and the Dodgers have them in, in, in the rearview mirror. And so I think a rivalry is at least starting. And I think that's been the biggest storyline. I think one of the the cool things is the San Diego Padres have really sort of tried to build it from the ground up with young talent developing through their farm systems and the Dodgers being like the evil empire of the West, like the New York Yankees over here in the East you know, trading for assets, developing their own guys, but really spending the money and throwing it around. 
I love the Snell move, the Clevenger move. Not a lot of people are talking about because he's out with uh, after, but I think it was Tommy John or at least some sort of uh, arm uh, surgery. What do you think this Dodger Padres soon to develop rivalry ends up over the next three years? Can we expect that someone from the NL West makes the World Series two out of the next three years? I think you can. I mean, anything can happen over these next two, three years. I will say the NL West is going to get a whole lot more competitive after this year, though, because I know we've talked a lot about the Padres. We've talked a lot about the Dodgers. San Francisco Giants are going to have a lot of money coming off the books after this year. So they're going to have team options on Buster Posey, Johnny Cueto. Um, There might even be a couple more guys mixed in there. But if you take off, let's say hypothetically, they decline all their player options or club options, they could have upwards of $100-plus million coming off the books this year. And that's with being already in a large market. They've been in the conversations um, and been been in that rumor mill. When Bryce Harper was a free agent, they were involved. When Trevor Bauer was a free agent this year, there were rumors of them being involved. They've been in on the bigger free agents. They haven't been able to land them probably because they haven't been competitive in a few years and they have so much money wrapped up into these veteran players. But Brandon Belt, he's going to be a free agent. Brandon Crawford, going to be a free agent. Buster Posey, that is a lot of money. And when you have a guy like Farhan Zaidi, who is a mastermind in that front office, he's going to have not only money to spend, but he knows how to use it too. And so I know your question was about Padres Dodgers and look, they're going to be fantastic, but look out for the giants. Cause I think they really are going to have an opportunity after this year. They seem like a franchise that doesn't rebuild, but sort of retool because they can't. Like you said, they're a big league market that are in on a lot of some of the bigger names. It's going to take just one, maybe two. And all of a sudden they're right back into the mix. Now, I talked about, obviously, my me being involved in fantasy sports. So as the manager of the 2020 Fantasy Baseball Champions Zero Lux Given, whose league is actually run on CBS Sports, I'd be remiss if I didn't try and get some inside fantasy advice that might help me as Drake uh, Drake's second Meek Mill diss track was so aptly named back to back. Let's start with which player who missed the 2020 season will have the biggest fantasy impact in 2021. Oh boy. Um, I think, I mean, David Price is heading into a situation where he can't lose really. I, I, I question how many innings he's going to throw just because they have so many different options. I mean, he could go out and throw four innings every single time because they have so many different options between Tony Gonsal and Dustin May who are they going to have in their rotation? How long is their rotation going to be? They have seven different legit starters, um, but he's going to enter a situation where he has a monster offense behind him, a good defense behind him. Um, he's playing for, he's going to be playing for a winning team. So David Price is certainly going to be looking to bounce back. I think once Severino and Syndergaard come back, they're going to make things, things interesting. Now, with that being said, they're not expected to be back till midsummer. Um, so that could obviously complicate things from a fantasy perspective, but Again, Severino would be entering a similar situation as David Price. Monster offense behind him. They're going to win a lot of games. Um, and in Syndergaard, too, the Mets are expected to win a lot of games. So I actually just did a piece on CBSSports.com about players um, coming back either from injury or missed that 2020 season for a variety of reasons. And one guy I had circled, too, was A.J. Puck of the Oakland A's. They, they do not know. The problem is, for fantasy listeners here, they don't know if he's going to be in a rotation yet or not. Uh, Martin Gallegos of MLB.com reported that he was going to be a starter, but that was before 
they went after and, and re-signed Mike Fires. Now they re-signed Mike Fires, so now it's a little bit more clustered in that rotation. That being said, AJ Puss got elite stuff. He's a young arm, hasn't had the experience quite yet, but he's got really, really good stuff. Strikeout stuff, which fantasy guys love. So look out for AJ Puck, especially if he's going to be in that rotation. He could be an elite piece. Now you brought up Noah Syndergaard. So I'm going to take this quick transition and go to what we've seen over the offseason. Now, we talked about fans getting back involved and being at the markets. But one thing that the fans of Major League Baseball were treated to this offseason was a very different experience like no other with the free agency of Trevor Bauer. Now, for all of those who enjoyed what was going on between him and Rachel Luba and the openness and transparency of what free agency looks like in 2020, there were some people who didn't like it so much. And I'm referring to Noah Syndergaard. What do you think of this Twitter beef that has sparked between the two? And is this good for baseball because it's getting a lot of eyes and a lot of fans are chiming in? I do. Um, Look, I was a fan. I get a lot of criticism for this, too. I was a fan of everything that Rachel and Trevor did this offseason too with their free agency, you know, um, process. I, I think any kind of attention that baseball gets, baseball gets, especially in the offseason when not a lot's going on, I think it's good for baseball. And I, when Trevor signed, I tweeted out and I said, you know, everything they did was good for baseball. And I got a lot of people saying, oh, we'd be talking about baseball anyways. We've been talking blah, blah, blah. We weren't talking about anything in November and, and even December, really. The, the deals didn't really start happening until after December. We yeah. weren't talking baseball. But you know what was trending on Twitter almost every night was hashtag Bauer to Anaheim, hashtag Bauer to the Queens. People were talking baseball, and I think that's good. And so you talked about the feud between Syndergaard and Bauer. Um, those are two really smart guys. Um, I think both of them could be maybe a little bit friendlier on social media. But at the same time, it's probably good because – the Mets and Dodgers could be meeting up in the postseason this year. And not that one would be pitching against one. Well, if we don't have a universal DH, maybe they would. But point being, rival, any type of beef I think is good for baseball because it gets more attention, especially if these two teams are going to be powerhouses, which they're expected to for the next few years. Um, you know, it just feeds into that, that beef. I kind of love the fact that we are uncertain about whether or not there's going to be a universal DH because that was one of the things they were trying to get done. They ended up working out, you know, the double header situation continuing as they did last year. And if I'm MLB baseball, I'm kind of relieved because if you can have the showdown between Noah Syndergaard and Trevor Bauer going up against each other in the same game, both pitching against each other. I don't think there will be fireworks. I've, if I'm a manager, I'm probably not letting my one of my star pitchers go out there and get beaned and get into a brawl. But man, you're going to get eyes tuning in to these games to see what happens. And like you said, I think it's great for baseball. I think it creates a lot of fun buzz, especially with the social media aspect of today's generation. Um, but I noticed something the other day, and I wanted to I wanted to talk to you about it. Going back to 2019, I think Mm -hmm. it was August 5th, you tweeted something. And 2021 World Series, San Diego Padres versus the Chicago White Sox, and that you will speak it into existence. Who would have thought that in 2021, we would see the reloading of talent in the San Diego Padre market, as well as the not so often talked about Chicago White Sox, who have put together 
amazing acquisitions. They have young talent finally making it. What stood out to you in 2019 that said, hey, this is going to be the future World Series matchup? That's a good question. And look, I looked at those two clubs and I looked at how they built their farm systems and they did it organically too, for the most part on both sides, which I think is very respectable for one. And then I looked at what their financial outlook would be. And look, anything can happen. My whole predictions are 95% luck and 5% actually execution. Okay. Um, You know, 5% knowledge, if you will. Um, Anything could happen this season. I don't know if the White Sox and Padres are actually going to meet in the World Series. I simply put that out there because I believed in, you know, the trusting the process, as Joel Embiid might say. I, I believe that both of those teams had a unique opportunity come 2020, 2021 offseason. They were each going to have a lot of money to spend, which they used wisely. Obviously, the Padres with Snell, Darvish, Musgrove, uh, Hassan Kim, the White Sox with Lance Lynn, Adam Eaton, Liam Hendricks. They took advantage of that opportunity. And now you filter in these young prospects. Um, the White Sox are going to have Vaughn, Luis Robert. Um, that's already adding to Jose Abreu, who was the MVP last year. That's Manny Grandal, who they signed last year, was uh, or two years ago now. I'm trying to keep, keep track of my days here. Tim Anderson, <laughs> batting champ. Um, Nick Madrigal is coming up. So they just already had a lot of pieces on their roster. Maybe not a lot. They had a couple pieces mixed in with their roster. Each of those teams did. And then you start adding in these prospects and maybe their prospects, these prospects find their way, which they have like Fernando Tatis Jr. um, and Luis Robert. And then you mix in their financial outlook. And now you're getting a three, you know, a three X force. You have farm system. You have already talent at the major league level. And then thirdly, you have top prospects. And so now you're combining those three natures into one. And that's what I saw from those two clubs. And so sure enough, they are competitive. They were very competitive last year, expected to be just as competitive this year. So again, 95% luck, but that was the 5% knowledge I put into it. Hey, listen, from everything that you said two years ago to where we are now, those teams could conceivably be there based on the talent and situation. Might be a great call. You know, we we talk in, in September or October, you know, you might have to buy a lottery ticket or I might have to come to you for some roster advice because you seem to have the magic eight ball to give you all the answers. Now, another thing I wanted to talk to you about, uh, looking at a minimum of two-year contracts that also include extensions, which major league offseason signing do you think might not live up to their ex- expectations in 2021? Oh, boy. Man, I I hate to put this guy on blast, and, and it wasn't even a big move, but I, I do have question marks when it comes to what Washington this, did this year, and we had a conversation with John Lester a couple years, a couple years, excuse me, a couple weeks ago on the podcast, and really good dude. And, and this isn't to say that he's a bad guy and he's going to be a bad influence on that team because he's not. He's a veteran guy. I mean, the guy beat cancer, for God's sakes. I mean, he's been through a lot. World Series champ, really, really good dude. A guy that you want on your roster. That being said, look at his analytics and his velocity. They're all trending downward. You're adding him to a rotation with Max Scherzer, who's getting older and older every day. He's had injury concerns with his back the last two seasons. Steven Strasburg did not play last season. He had an arm injury, and he's had injury concerns even before in his career. Um, Patrick Corbin's fantastic. I think he's their one staple and their one constant in that rotation. But And then you add John Lester into the mix. It's not at high risk because it was just a one-year deal. But I kind of question how Washington is is constructing their roster just because 
they're adding a veteran guy to a rotation that's already pretty experienced. I, I personally would have looked to get a little bit more youthful if I was Washington. I mean, that's a great point. I can never say anything bad about John Lester as a Red Sox fan. You know, he did amazing things. He went to Chicago, did even more amazing things. Than him and Theo Epstein are going down in Boston folklore forever. Um, but it's interesting. I, I I like that he's looks like more of an innings eater, if that, because he's not really going to give you high strikeouts or or you know last seven innings in a game. He's going to be fairly sort of reliable, but. I think Washington is going to I don't know, do they make the postseason this year without expanded playoffs? Do they really are they really sniffing at trying to get back into the World Series just one year removed? It's funny you asked that. We just had this conversation um earlier this week about this. I could see the NL East going so many different ways. I so I personally picked the I went Braves, then Mets, uh then Phillies, then Nationals, then Marlins in that order. I could see the Marlins win the division. I really could. Every, I, I think one through five, the NL East is the most competitive in in Major League Baseball. I think the two teams that are the best teams in the National League are in the NL West. But I think that division is very top heavy with the Padres and Dodgers. One through five, the NL East is ridiculously competitive. Marlins weren't expected to sniff the playoffs. They made it last year, and they beat the Cubs while doing it in the NLDS or in that first round. Um, so it's going to be incredibly competitive. Do I see the Nationals making the postseason? In my preseason predictions, I don't have them making it. With that being said, I like Schwarber. I, I think that's a really nice add. And then you add him in with Trey Turner. Juan Soto might already be the best hitter in the National League. I, I truly believe that. At 22 years old, he might be the most, the greatest hitter in the National League right now, which is incredible. Um, so we'll have to see. You know, I mean, Josh Bell was a nice add too. So. I think if Josh Bell can really fit back, get back to his all-star form, who knows what, what Washington's capable of. I mean, we saw what they did two years ago. Now, the last fantasy baseball question I'm going to ask you is this. I'm a big prospect guy, fantasy or dynasty league. A lot of my team currently is made up of Tatis and Acuna and a lot of guys who just you know got early on before they made their big league debuts. With the minor league season set to resume after being canceled in 2020 and receiving a facelift this post uh, this offseason, which positional and pitching prospect do you think will impact their major league team the most this season? Pitching-wise, Luis Patino for sure um, with okay. Tampa Bay. Um, dude's got electric stuff. He pitched out of the bullpen a lot last year for San Diego simply just because they didn't really – one, he's really young. Two, they didn't really quite have a spot for him at the time. He's got electric stuff. Um, and his, you know, if you're looking at his analytics and his deep dive numbers, they're really, really good. Like you're talking about his spin rate, his strikeout percentage, really, really good stuff. And Tampa Bay is going to be a winning team, I think. Competitive American League East, but the Rays are going to win games because of the Tampa Bay Rays. But I'm looking at a positional um, player. I'm going to have to go with Vaughn from uh, Chicago. And for whatever reason, I'm drawing a blank on, on his first name. Um, let me look it up real quick. Uh, Andrew Vaughn. Um, he's expected to, at 22 years old, to possibly fill that DH spot for Chicago. And we, I know we already talked about Chicago. That lineup, my goodness, Tim Anderson, um, go around a diamond, got Moncada, Abreu, Yasmani, Madrigal, uh, Luis Robert. I mean, it's stacked. At, and Elo Jimenez, I didn't even mention. I mean, it's stacked. And now you stick Andrew Vaughn in there. Um, he's going to have a lot of RBI opportunities. He's young, he's hungry, and he's going to have maybe a full 162 season, and they're not going to expect too much from him. They're not going to stick him in the three hole and say, go at it. They might stick him in that five, six, seven hole, 
and kind of let him learn the ropes a little bit. Um, so I think he's going to have a lot of opportunities to succeed and he's going to be in a absolute deadly lineup in Chicago. One of the craziest things about Chicago is that like Nick Madrigal is going to probably bat like ninth maybe. And there's yeah. a guy who doesn't strike out ever. And so he's basically just another leadoff hitter that's going to turn over that lineup to the big boys with the big bats. Do you think that Minnesota has an opportunity to hold on to that division? Or do you think the time has passed and it is the Chicago White Sox to win? The Twins are what they are to me. And until they haven't, they're so tough because they're very talented, but they haven't proven to me that they're, uh, I, don't, I don't think they scare anyone. I think they scare pitchers because their lineup is very dangerous. But especially once they get to the postseason, I mean, how many games have they lost straight in the postseason? It's upwards of 15 plus now. Yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. It's very bad. And so to me, they just haven't, I don't think anybody really respects them. I think they know they're a good team. They have good talent. They play good defense. Last year, they had the least amount of errors in all of Major League Baseball. Um, and, and you look at their offseason moves, they were able to add Andrelton Simmons, who's you know, he's really good defensively. He's one of the best fielders we've seen in the middle, uh, you know, middle of the infield since probably since, um, you know, Ozzie Smith, maybe with St. Louis. I mean, absolute stud upper in the, upward in that middle. Um, but the, again, they were already really good defensively. So it's like, you're already adding in Jelton Simmons to a defense that was already really good. How much better are you really getting? So I think Minnesota is going to be good, but I just think the, the ceiling for Chicago is a lot higher than Minnesota's. Awesome. Listen, uh, to get you out of here, I got one final question for you, and I alluded to it off the top. What is this 80 poo crew that you are a proud member of? Not proud. I shouldn't say proud. No, um, I just wasn't able to uh, quite hit that 90 threshold on the mound when I was playing. So, you know, everybody kind of makes fun of the kids that throw in the 80s. I was part of that 80 poo crew is what they uh, they call it our, our sad, sad group. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, I wouldn't say proud, but it is what it is. Listen, you wear it as a badge of honor. You at least had the opportunity <laughs> to to be in that position, to be remembered for something. Now, Danny, I want to thank you, obviously, for being so generous with your time today. If people wanted to follow you on Twitter and follow the podcast, where can they find all of that fun stuff? Yeah, you can follow, follow all the written stuff on cbsports.com, and then I'll be plugging all that on my socials, too, at Danny Vietti. And then hopefully tune into the, when you're not listening to Julian here, they listen <laughs> to the Fantasy Baseball Day podcast every Wednesday. Excellent. Now, make sure check out the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast for your latest fantasy baseball news, analysis, and advice. The Big O Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. with full videos available on YouTube. Make sure you hit that like button, subscribe for future episodes, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. For my guest, Dan Vietti, I'm Julian Ortiz. Thank you for watching and listening. See you next time.